How much are you supposed to care about how you look like? Like, are you supposed to put on makeup? Like, are you supposed to like care about that right now? Welcome back to Plastic Urns. I'm Bryce, and that was Heather trying to figure out what to wear to her dad's funeral. She was 23 at the time, and her dad had died suddenly, two days prior, from a stroke. Heather was living in London at the time, which meant she had to take the next possible flight to New York, then show up to the funeral two days later. The only thing I can say is as time has passed, I'm so glad I'm further and further away from that day, because <laughs> it was so exhausting. Like... Maybe this isn't a thing for boys, but picking an outfit to go to your father's funeral, like, okay, at least color scheme, like, you know, you're wearing black, but like, then how pretty are you supposed to look, right? Like, how much are you supposed to care about how you look like? Like, are you supposed to put on makeup? Like, are you supposed to like care about that right now? Like, should I wash my hair? Like, should I like blow dry it? Like, all of these things where you're just like, I'm seeing all of these people who I haven't seen in years and probably won't see in years. And so I kind of want to look my best. But under these circumstances, fuck it. Like, that whole thing was weird. Just the, all of the, like, questioning yourself. And maybe it's just us doing this because we're, like, very self-critical. <laughs> but, like, feeling like there's a right way to do something and questioning whether you're doing it right. Like, am I appropriately sad in this conversation? Am I appropriately excited to see you after not seeing you for forever? But also, like, by the way, did you know my dad died, like, yesterday? Like, all of that is just so much to handle. And it was just, <laughs> I was glad it was over when it was done because it was just exhausting, exhausting. I, I own two nice suits. Each one I bought for my parents' funerals. Oh, um, God. They're good suits, though. Yeah, but think about that. You had to literally go buy a suit. Yeah. Within, like, what, 48 hours of their passing? Yeah, so that was, like, a very active decision of, like, I want to look very clean and, like, yeah. very good for this. I bought a unnecessarily nice pair of velvet shoes for my father's Zoom funeral during COVID. But they are... You're just, like, sitting there with your feet up, like... Hey. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, we had to, like, set up a phone to film the funeral. And I was like, yeah. all right, are my shoes in this shot? How do they look? Because let me tell you, they look like I had ankle socks on. It was it was a vibe. I like it. Yeah. I mean, whatever gets you through the day. <laughs> Literally. Ugh, the, the most awkward I've ever felt was getting off of the, the Bima, which is in the synagogue, like, the main stage and having to uh i don't remember if it's in front of i think it's behind you have like a bunch of the men in the family like carry the casket out um and then you walk in procession like behind it and you walk down the aisle like the opposite way as you would towards your wedding and everyone's looking at you. And I didn't know whether to look at people and smile and say hi or just look <laughs> down. And I was like, not only have I just lost someone, but now literally all eyes are on me. And yeah. I just want to get out of here. Like a gentle wave. I'm like, yeah. 
the the royal wave. I just, I literally, I just felt like I wanted to leave. I just don't want to be here. Yeah. I do not want to be here. That's how I felt for the entire funeral. I just did not want to be there. Oh, the other weird one. I had to ask my mother, like, the day he died when I saw my brother, or the day after. I said, Mom told me that told her that told him like there was this long chain of familial phone tag about the fact that my brother wanted to bury our dad like literal dig the grave and so I was the one who then had to go ask my mother if that was okay and she was like I mean I I don't know what the rules are like (laughs) is it okay I don't know so then we called the rabbi right this is where I'm like thank god for Judaism like we called the rabbi and we're like is this okay and he's like well there's laws in the state of New York about digging graves. You can't just dig a grave and put a body in it because that's illegal. You know, like you can't just dispose of a body. So there's unions around grave digging. Uh, so you can tell your brother that he can't dig a grave because it's like a profession where people come in and they, right. like you said, put the dirt on and, you know, dig it out and whatever. But if he would like to, he can actually help cover the grave. Because that's a mitzvah in the Jewish religion. And that's actually like, you know, a sign of respect that you showed the person who's passed. And it's a good thing to do. And so my brother said that he wanted to go with his like friends to just like put dirt on the grave after. And so we were all like leaving the uh, the funeral. And my brother stayed back with like four really 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 large friends just like shoveling dirt and like helping the <laughs> the graveyard people like throw rocks into my dad's grave and everyone was like who are these people why are they sticking around like what is this about and my mom's like literally just don't worry about it it's fine just like move along <laughs> and so yeah he ended up you know digging or i guess not digging but covering most of the grave i mean i guess if nothing else that's that's impressive um What's the weirdest place you've cried? <laughs> um, at like concerts sometimes mm. when mm. you're just like super into the music and emotional and you feel like your dad would have loved this. Mm. I'll cry then. Um, oh, <laughs> I thought of one. This one is fully justified, but my mom. She kept his phone number, okay? Post his passing in case he got work calls to let them know that he had passed. Sure. And sometimes she would accidentally call me <laughs> from his number. <laughs> and I'd see dad on the phone with a photo of his face pop up. And like, no shit, I'm going to cry. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> and that would happen like on the street. I remember I was literally like walking out of a coffee shop and I saw my dad calling. And I just started crying. Like on the, yeah, on the streets, a big one. But yeah, that Gosh. reason was the craziest. And then you're like, wait, like m- m- maybe it's him. Like, but yeah, sometimes I was like, oh my god, oh my god, what? And I was like, hello. And then I'd get angry. And then she, she, like, she did it more than once, like multiple times. <laughs> I can't believe that. That's <laughs> <laughs> insane. I no, would, that would upset me so. Like, that might be the only time that I would actually cuss my own mother out. That's Brian, our sound engineer and my creative partner. Have you lost someone, Ryan? I have. Uh, both of my parents are around, but I've. Uh, my best friend died in a car accident when I was 17. Wow. Um, and it's just, you know, Bryce, we were having the, the conversation 
and some with with people last night about just like severity, you know, and like the idea for those of us that haven't lost our parents that losing your parents is probably the hardest thing. And for those of us that have lost other people, like I personally don't feel like I've grieved as hard as either of you have. You I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't know. I think about this a lot. Like yeah. what it's like to lose someone that wasn't meant to go, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and, and I could say that there's a spectrum, like, you know, I felt like my dad wasn't meant to go, but he was also 70 and how much time did he actually have left? Yeah. But like someone who's 16 or, and that feeling of like the life they could have had or the relationship you could have built or the experiences you would have had. Yeah. They're not a parent, but I feel like there's without belittling a parent's loss, there's more to lose, you know? Because, like, there's this whole life of possibilities that didn't happen. And that's that was the hard part, the thing that, like, you're, it's impossible. It's dynamic because when you're 17, I didn't know how to handle that. No way. Looking back as an adult, I feel like a disrespectful asshole. Like, I told a joke and this kid's dead. You know what I mean? My best friend's gone and I'm up here trying to be jovial. And, like... I wasn't too hard on myself about it, but I have gone through times where I was like, you didn't honor that the right way. No, I know exactly the feeling, but like what is honoring something the right way, right? Like yeah. anything is okay at that point. Like everyone's yes. grieving. I really tied into like when you said too, like if your mother's never wrong. One of you said that. I said that. We, yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel the exact same way about my mom. You know, like she's, she's, She's always so put together and she'll find a way to do and say the right thing. Yeah. Except this one time at, you know, it was, the, it was right after the funeral. Um, we were all gathered up at his house and she was doing her best to console Andrew's mother. His name's Andrew. And I don't know what the fuck came over her, but, you know, she was trying to be in the moment. She was trying to be. It was one of those classic scenarios where there's a human that is trying to be compassionate and words fail them. Yeah. And she looked at this woman who had just lost her her 17-year-old son. I mean, she'd been crying for a week straight. She looked, Jackie, she, I mean, she was going through it, you know, like yeah. hard. She put her hand on her shoulder and said, Jackie, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it was just his time. Ugh. And Jackie, you, that you don't fucking say. That's not what you're supposed to say. How, yeah, but how she's like, fuck. So we're, they were gathered at this kid's house. All of us are there. All of his closest friends and family. And Jackie loses it. Jackie completely loses it in the middle of this thing. She's cussing my mother out. And like, yeah, she deserved that. You know, you said the wrong thing. And this woman is grieving. She had, you know, if she pops off on you, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where you're like, this shit just got a whole lot worse. <laughs> Heather and Brian share a bond in that they both have brothers who had or have a tenuous relationship with their parents. It's going to be hardest for him. And that's just the reality. It's just because. It was hardest for my brother for the exact same reason. Really? And we did not know what to expect. 
not to say that what happened with my situation will happen with yours. I have no idea. But we didn't know what to expect when he was going to say something at the funeral. We didn't know what to expect when he showed up. Uh, he showed up in kind of like typical my brother get up, which was kind of like artistic, colorful, and flashy. Chad is also very artistic. And, wow. Yeah. And so he showed up and we were just like, on the one hand, how you're dressed right now is grossly inappropriate. On the other hand, that's you. And we kind of have to embrace that and like, yeah. okay. And he ended up saying in his, uh, he had by far the best eulogy of anyone because he just spoke from the heart. And like, he is on so many drugs, but somehow fully recognized the part he played in all of this. Wow. Um, that's a big move. Big Damn. move. Big move. That's it totally man, changed like, family dynamic completely. Uh, that's, like, you got to be solid as a rock somewhere. Somewhere. Somewhere off. deep, 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 deep. Like, yeah. it, it showed me, like, yeah. deep fucking, I had lost hope. I was like, this guy, yeah. no. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I fully lost hope. I was fully prepared to never speak to him again. It had literally been seven years since we spoke. And totally changed my opinion. And I know that it could have so easily gone the other way. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. But, yeah, that's why I say, like, you're never prepared for what's going to happen. Because you don't know. Like, it's traumatic for him. It's going to be traumatic for you. And maybe that's a switch that needs to be flipped. Who knows? Yeah. What is it now like for you to sit with the memories of your dad? Um, for the first several months, and I, I don't know if this is like a normal thing, you just feel their absence a lot more because it's like you have a routine with them where either you call them once a week or you, you know, make dinner with them or you see them at the dining room table or, you know, you have coffee with them in the morning. And then when they're not there doing that, it's like, you feel the absence um, and then time passes and you set up new routines and you don't feel that absence as much. And that in some ways feel, feels like a whole other process of loss because you're like, now I don't even have the memories of missing him during these times because I'm so used to not doing things with him, which is obviously comforting, but also sad. And then, and then you're kind of just left with the memories. I don't know. It, it's, it's a weird floating period of defining a new existence. Like, yeah. It's, you talk, I assume you talk to your dad almost every day. Yeah. And they're like, oh, not going to make that WhatsApp call today. Yeah. Or like, I don't know if you ever do this now, but do you ever like look through old emails or old texts that they sent you? Or the best is I have voicemails Ooh. that... For a long time, I was, like, kind of afraid to listen to, but now I fucking love them. Like, I'm going to leave voicemails for everyone I know because it's, like, <laughs> the best thing, and they're just so sweet. He's like, I heard you're interested in joining a new running club. If you like it, you should join it. I think it's a great idea. Or just, like, little things. He, I sent another one to my family the other day, which was um, he sent me and my sister an email saying, uh, iPhone apps as the subject line. And then it said, I dropped my phone in the toilet and need to get a new one. All my apps are erased. Thought if you told me which apps you had, it could jog my memory as to which ones I had. Don't think I need as many. XOXOXOXO, XO, 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 <laughs> 10,000 XOs. 
But yeah, like those things are just in, and I have like, he, he was the king of like spam mail. He would send you those like chain <laughs> forward, mail forward, things. Forward. Forwards everything. I, to this day, it's been literally almost three years, have like unopened emails from him that were forwarded. And whenever I miss him, I just like open a few just to, you know, like see what he thought was interesting. And nine times out of 10, it's like, forward this to 10 people and you'll get to heaven. Or like those <laughs> like the horrible things you did in middle school. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, the worst, the worst feeling was like for the full year afterwards when I would be listening to something on Spotify and just like knew that it was the kind of song he would like. And I just like desperately want to send it to him. (laughs) And so what I did as a proxy is I'd send it to my mother and my sister who like were way less excited. Like bless their souls, but were just like way less excited. And so I was like, this is so half-assed of a response that I would have gotten from my dad. And so, yeah, yeah. I find that to be one of the hardest things where there are like, I would send a lot of like, I don't know, generic videos back and forth with my dad about like engineering, about skiing, about like random things. Yeah. He was like always stoked and like 80% of the things I would find, I would send to him. The other 20% would be friends. Yeah. And now it's like, what, what do I Who do, do I share this <laughs> to? No one's like, uh, like interested in this weird like photo of Mitch McConnell. Oh, I, yeah. And then, then you have friends that are like, yeah, no, send it to me anyway. I still want to see it. And you're like, I will because you're sweet for saying that, but like it's not the same. Like <laughs> literally, my dad would be like fucking stoked about this shit, and like you're, I just don't get that response from people these days, and like it sucks, you know. Like that's like that's when you miss them the most when there's things that happen in your life or things that you see or content that you you know consume, and you don't have someone to share it with because like it's only as entertaining or exciting or meaningful as an experience as you know who you can share it with. And it 10x is the value of that experience when you can share it with someone who also gets the same value. And when you don't have that, then it sucks. You know, you like totally take it for granted until you can't. Um, I didn't realize how much it meant to me that I could send him that music until you can't. Yeah. It's actually funny that we're talking about this now because since my brother's in prison, I like have kind of been feeling a lot of the same things I felt with my dad's passing all over again in that, and this is kind of not about death now and more about our prison system, but like- um, (laughs) It's equally important. Yeah, and probably more fucked up. But so he's in a prison right now with like probably 300 other inmates and there's like literally about three phones. And so obviously because of COVID, you can't go visit and he only gets, you know, a certain amount of time on the phone per week. And so- he hadn't called me since he got in and I was like going from literally texting him every other day to not speaking to him at all. Um, and then I get a call from him about two days ago, actually. So it's like quite fresh. Um, and it says like, you're getting a call from insert name prison to receive the call press one. And so you, you're like flushed with emotions, right? It's like the same feeling you get when, you know, you see a picture of your dad or you hear his voice after he's passed. Um, you're just like, oh, my God, what is this? What is this? And so then they're like, okay, in order to accept the call, enter your credit card details, which, by the way, it costs like $3 a minute to take a call from prison. So, like, let's talk about that. But um, you're just like, fuck it. I'll pay anything at this point. Um, so I'm, like, entering my credit card details. And it gives you 15 seconds to enter your credit card details. So I didn't get my credit card details in time, and it hung up the phone. And then I couldn't speak to my brother. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, that's so messed up. 
Like, first of all, I really want to call the like prison telephone company and be like, get your story straight. Either you want to make money, in which case charge people $3 a minute and give them ample amount of time to give them your credit card details, or just make this a free service and, you know, like then give up people however short amount of time that you want, right? Because you're not charging. But anyway, all of that said, I'm getting back to the point about death in a second. Um, (laughs) I'm like going from, you know, having my dad, who I'm like sharing music with all the time, to him passing, me reconnecting with my brother and my sharing music and, you know, all of the things I used to share with my dad with him because he's the closest I get to getting the same kind of response. And boom, now he's in prison and I can't share anything with him. And so now it's like all over again. I'm feeling the like, you know, you don't realize how much of a privilege it is to say you love and miss someone until you can't. And so, yeah, it's just, again, all that, like, you know, there's things that you want to share with people. And then when you can't, then you just like feel that pain. Yeah. Um, But, and this goes back to, you know, people grieve differently. Like when I feel that pain and for a long time when I feel that pain, Probably in the first month or two, it was hard. But since then, I feel like I fucking love that pain, you know, because then it's like that however painful that is, it means that they meant a lot to me. And I get I feel privileged to get to miss them that much. Mm-hmm. And my sister, I know we had like long conversations about how she just like couldn't get herself to feel that way. She was like, no, I just feel the pain and it's just sad. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm just blessed with resilience or who the fuck knows what it is but like for me I would immediately turn that like sadness to like holy shit I'm so lucky to feel this like intense missing and like this feeling of not being able to share something with someone I love because I got to for 23 years of my life and that's like so much better than nothing at all and like I hold on to that like tight yeah yeah that that makes sense um do you have any other thoughts on the grieving process as a whole? Everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. And like you have to be patient with yourself as you grieve differently and everyone else does. Like my sister was so emotional for like a year and a half afterwards. And I was just like always seen as like, or I don't know if I was seen or if I felt like I was being seen as like the cold hearted bitch because I like <laughs> was not as, you know, emotional, quote unquote, or I didn't, you know, like every Thursday, like, feel like, you know, the presence of him or, like, you know, every month milestone, like, relive the whole experience. <laughs> I was, like, some some 23rds of the month, I, like, literally just didn't. They just, like, went by, and then it was the 24th, you know? <laughs> I used to, my sister used to ask me, like, how are you so okay with the grieving process? And I would, like, walk her through all of my rationale from, like, the most cold response to the more warm ones being, you know, there are 7 billion people on this planet, 7.6 billion people on this planet today. There were 100 billion people who have walked through this planet at one point. That means that there are 93 billion dead souls somewhere. Like, dad is just one of them, which is, like, cold as hell, right? Like, but also true, right? Also true. Very cold. So, so true. I oh my god, I sound like a bitch, but it's no, true. It, 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 it's oddly comforting. It, that's what I felt. She was like, "That's horrible," and I'm like, "No, it's actually kind of comforting that like we're all gonna go through this, yeah, and we're gonna be part of that 93 mil- billion one day." And you know, Dad is, and he's with his parents, and maybe with or with not, who knows where the soul is? But it's just like life, you know. 
We're not going to be here forever. And then that's kind of the coldest response to the warmer responses being, you know, this happens to everyone. This is not even so warm, but this happens to everyone. This is part of life. You know, life and death are a cycle. They happen like one in the same. To the super warm response of, you know, he's alive through the stories we tell and the memories we preserve. And um, I feel like he is a part of me and I carry that with me and that will be the legacy of my children. And like, you know, he will stay alive through, you know, generations because of that, which is comforting sometimes and not comforting other times, you know, like, I guess I just feel like I have this like arsenal of like (laughs) uh, grief tools I've like collected for myself and I pick whichever one feels right for the moment. Um, And sometimes that's the cold hearted bitch ones. And then other times that's the really spiritual, like, you know, he's living in the air. We breathe ones. Then yeah, I'm not going to judge myself for whatever I choose when I want to choose it, like whatever works. So, yeah. Does his death change how you think about the future at all? Um, A lot with work stuff. I actually, you asked at the beginning, do I play the parent card? Yeah. And I think subliminally I do in, in work interviews a lot when people are like, you know, what do you want from this job or what are you what do you want from a career? Mm-hmm. And I basically say I want what my dad had, right? Because I felt like he had the most exciting career of anyone I knew and the perfect balance of, um, he always used to call it work-life blend and not work-life balance because mm-hmm. if you're doing something you love um, and you have a family that you love, it should all be one and the same. Mm-hmm. And that's like what I aspire to or the kinds of things he did for work. We work in tangentially similar industries, but. Um, what did he do? So I guess the biggest disappointment in his passing was realizing that he didn't work for the CIA because I was fully expecting someone to show up and be like, by the way, your dad was a double agent. <laughs> um, and all of my friends in high school were like, for sure, he's a CIA agent. So he. I didn't really get what he did until I was probably in college. He used to do deals in Russia at the time of the Cold War. He would do deals in the Middle East at the time of like a lot of conflict out there in Kuwait and Oman and the UAE. And we were all like, what the hell are you doing? And so for a long time, I called him a quote unquote businessman. But what he did was basically work on the business side of really creative deal creation. And so some of his businesses worked super well and others were like complete flops, right? So he would like sell a plant to the Kazakhstan government and then they would call him three months later about how the plant wasn't, you know, working properly and that the paper wasn't sticking to the metal. And so he would go over there and then realize that there were chickens running around and like this plant was in the middle of a farm and there was chicken poop in between the paper and the metal. And so obviously it's not sticking. And like just hearing those stories growing up and how excited he would get 
about like, you know, not about the success of a business, but about the excitement and the like, you know, complexity of like how you do the operations and how you like structure something and, and you know, how you get something from an idea to, you know, zero to one. Like that's what was so exciting for me to hear as a kid and then eventually kind of what I want to do with my life growing up. But he would do things, I mean, in metalized paper, and then he tried to do a business in centrifugal pumps for oil. He tried to do a business with like, I think it was like a roll up of like uh, movie production studios. And then like my favorite flopped one was he had this idea for like a turbo tube is I think what he called it, which was basically a mix between a football and a Frisbee. And he prototyped them and got like, I'm not joking, like 200,000 of them shipped to our house, (laughs) which like to this day, we still have probably thousands of them in our basement somewhere. And he wanted to sell them to Coca-Cola because they fit perfectly over a Coke can. And he was like, you should sell these as like, you know, part of a Coca-Cola. And so you could like have a Coca-Cola and like throw a turbo tube around in the summer. And like needless to say, that flopped and never was a thing. (laughs) And now we have a bunch of plastic in our basement. But yeah, would like just think of these creative ideas and like 90% of them flopped, but some of them did really well, right? And so- when people ask like what I want for a career, I'm like, I don't know, but I want to do something as versatile, as diverse, as exciting, and as creative as the stuff my dad did. And then I think like, okay, do I have the risk profile to do that? Because, you know, like he took a lot of risk and sometimes it worked really well and then other times it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but to kind of go back to the original question, I like I play the parent card, quote unquote, when I think about like, you know, what my career is today and where I want it to be and like what I want that to look like. And then eventually what I want my kind of like work-life balance to look like with family. That's where I think it like has not changed, but I like, I reference that a lot in terms of what he had and what I'm building. We recorded this interview in San Francisco. About two weeks later, Heather went back to London where between trail running across Europe and consuming copious amounts of cheese fondue, she's been working in venture capital as she looks to follow the path her dad laid out. Get stoked for next week, where we talk with Maria about why she refers to her mom as mommy, hates the word strong, and dead mom granola. Thank you so much to Heather, Brian Patterson for the support, and to Coco Brudden for the music. As always, tell your friends about us, do cool things, and if you liked it, Give us a review wherever you listen. Thanks.